Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's, it's, in my view, a ridiculous sense. Hello. And welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. We've just finished up the story of Jason Vukovic, the man they call the Alaskan Avenger. It's undoubtedly an extremely sad and polarising story, which covers some pretty heavy subject matter. It brings to light many conversations around sentencing, vigilantism and abuse within society. Topics which have been in full swing in our closed Facebook group all the details of which can be found in the show notes of this episode. As always, once we wrap up a case, I like to get on the man they call the voice of reason. He is OMR's resident attorney, a man with decades of experience as a defence attorney and someone who has a vast knowledge of the US criminal justice system. Michael Leonard from Leonard Trial Lawyers in Chicago, who himself is currently in the process of dealing with a very high-profile murder case in the United States. You know the, uh, do you know the Aussie Jeremy Adair who does like uh, documentaries? That name does ring a bell. He, he, I guess he does documentaries. He's doing one about uh, this other case that I have, the, the Heather Mack case. What's the Heather Mack case? Fill me in. Um, so she was convicted in Bali, Indonesia, her and her boyfriend of conspiring. I'm not sure exactly what the charge was there, but it was basically that they killed her mother on vacation and then put her body in a suitcase. Jesus. She was from here. She was from. Oh, so she's my, American. Yeah, she's literally from like my town. Uh, went to the high school that my kids went to. Um, so she got a seven-year sentence over there, and now uh, the, the feds are trying her here for the same case because we don't have double jeopardy if it's another country. So she's already. Um, she's, so she already served the seven-year sentence in Bali, and now she's back in the states. Correct. But as soon as they, as soon as she landed, they took her into custody under federal charges here, and she's been in jail. Since here, so obviously found guilty in Bali, spent seven years in prison there for this killing. What happened to the the partner? What happened to him? He got a sixteen year sentence, so he's still serving it, and then he's charged here too. 
Uh, so someday he may face, you know, the uh, same thing. Another another prosecution here in the states as well. The American heiress is being spared the firing squad thanks to the birth of her daughter behind bars. A single tear ran down 19-year-old Heather Mack's cheek when she heard prosecutors will no longer seek the death penalty if she's convicted of murdering her wealthy mom. Right now, at this hour 18, Heather Mack, she's the woman who killed her mother in Indonesia and stuffed her body inside a suitcase. We first told you about her arrest at 11, moments after she got off a plane at O'Hare. Brother and sister of Sheila Von Wies taking the stand today in hopes of keeping Heather Mack in prison for her mother's murder. Heather Mack will remain in federal custody. The judge this morning denying the motion for bond. So that's a fascinating case. Of what, so you're, try, you're, you're in, her, in her corner. Yeah, yeah. Right now we have a trial date for like July. You know, a plea is always possible, but you know we're not really close right now. So we'll see what happens. So how can she be like done for something a crime that didn't even happen on American soil? It's weird. There's a statute, this American law, that basically specifically deals with the situation where an American is killed in another nation by Americans. You know, yeah. Uh, it's it's very unusual. You know, so that is that's really the hook, you know, which seems to me crazy that you can pass a law like that. But I guess it's for the this the type of situation we're talking about. Like American thinks, well, gee, if I go kill there somewhere else, I'll be okay. Yeah. You know? Um but but it's it still seems very, very kooky that there's a law like that, you know. Here's an interesting one for you. As her attorney, Mr. Leonard, if she was to call you and say, Hey, I've got a contact you by this guy's got a podcast, he wants me to tell this story, what would you advise your client, Mr. Leonard? If his name's Jack Lawrence, no way. <laughs> <laughs> depends who the host is. Uh, well, it, it just depends like what stage you're at, yeah. you know. Because I'm sure it could, and, uh, it could you don't want it to jeopardize the case, of course. Yeah, and also what you're saying, you know, like what 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 questions you're answering or what questions you're getting, it's it's pretty difficult, you know, because the defendant could say a lot of stuff that would, you know, could be incriminating or not, mm. you know. I mean, so it could be very good for them or very bad for them, you know. Mm. But I mean, generally, you would want them to wait, yeah, until the case was over. But you know, if you were in some particularly bad jurisdiction and you know you felt like it was hopeless, but you thought maybe. The groundswell public opinion might help you. Then, then I could see a reason to do it. But you got to just gotta be careful while the case is still pending. Mac has already served roughly eight years, seven of which at an Indonesian prison after her mother's body was found in a suitcase in Bali back in 2014, a crime her and her boyfriend were convicted of overseas. She's certainly struggling, and it's it's hard when you're a younger person, especially, to be confined. And I think really the thing that makes it so hard is the absence of her daughter from her life. Let's uh, let's talk about the latest uh, case. Obviously, this is uh, far different to anything we've really spoken about before. There's no argument whether you know of guilt or innocence in this uh, situation. I think you know the main dis- topic of discussion is not only sentencing, but it's the whole discussion around the vigilante justice, taking the law into your own hands. Just as a as a sort of whole in this particular case, what's your take on Mr. Jason Vukovic? Wow, what a, what a sad life. Mm. I mean, you can imagine from literally birth to your teenage years, just living in that sort of situation. I mean, you can't, you can't even really, you can say you can imagine, but you can't, you know? And so just horrific. Um, What, what also struck me is, you know, the kind of those threads that you see in so many criminal defendants in this, in this country and probably the same anywhere 
but there's these threads that everyone seems to have of abuse, neglect, you know, lack of fathers, you know, drug abuse houses, you know, prone to see violence of others, you know, or violence meted out upon themselves. So, you know, uh, sadly, you, you see you see that in those types of backgrounds and so many criminal defendants, just it's depressing. But, and it's it's a it's a uniformity, you know, not necessarily just sexual abuse, but all types of hardships in their young life, which really shapes their future. Now, obviously, I mean, let's talk about sentencing because, I mean, obviously, Jason tells us the horrific story of his adopted father, who is also his abuser, um, who eventually gets found out. Uh, he's taken in front of the courts to answer for his crimes. Uh, and he's handed down a three-year suspended sentence. I was the focus of the internal side of this whole thing with Larry Fulton being charged with second-degree abuse of a minor uh, and other things. Three years in prison suspended. No jail time to serve whatsoever. For me, I mean, first of all, for, for the crimes committed towards two young men, you know, children, like three years suspended, suspended sentence, I don't know how that can even be classified as any form of justice whatsoever. How, how a court could come to that decision just baffles me. Horrendous. Yeah, we, we need to know more about, you know, the judge, the jurisdiction, the lawyers involved, et cetera. But, yeah, that just seems like a no, it's a no punishment at all, really, when it comes down to it. And such an inappropriate punishment in light of the, the circumstances and the, the youth, you know, the factor of his essentially his kids uh, as a stepfather um, just seems like a hellaciously low sentence, which really impossible to explain. Um, so who knows why that particular judge in that particular case was persuaded that that was a good idea? You know, I'm sure they must have presented some mitigation trying to argue that he's the provider and trying to downplay the seriousness of the of the of the physicality and the abuse and trying to act like it wasn't, you know, sustained. Right. And uh, sometimes they, you know, they can portray the facts in a way that the judge might buy the fact that, you know, this isn't something that happens on an on everyday basis. But really, really a difficult one to get your hands around and understand why the judge could give that kind of sentence. For, the, for those who may not understand the whole premise of a suspended sentence. Can you explain what, what that a suspended sentence entails? Yeah. So in that jurisdiction, you know, basically it meant that you got the time assessed, you know, so you could say it's a three-year sentence, a five-year sentence, but you're not serving any of the time, right? So it's really just a, a sentence in theory. Um, the only thing that would go with that is some, either some probation or some supervised release so that if you commit another crime during the period of time that you were uh, under the suspended sentence and you probably face ramifications, maybe the charges being rebrought or something like that. But essentially it means that you're getting away with it. It's a sentence in theory that you're not serving any time on, but you are going to be under the court's watch for some period of time. So, you know, other than getting a not guilty or getting the charges dismissed, that's a pretty great result if you're a defendant to basically have nothing happen to you, but you do get a conviction. Now, as Jason talks us through, I mean, he was involved in his situation in life as a very religious background, a sort of almost cult-like situation. Now, you know, religion plays a huge part around the world. I mean, it's, you know, there's, religion is very strong in, in the States. It's also very strong in Australia in a number of parts. You know, he says that the church paid for his father's or his stepfather's attorney. Yeah, and actually, you know, the church supplied him with the attorney uh, that represented him for his court situation 
And I mean, that's something else entirely being pulled off before the, the court hearing as a child and having the attorney and your mother uh, coach you and tell you what you should or shouldn't say. I mean, it might be a tricky one to answer, but how much do you think the religion go, the, the sort of comes into play inside the courtroom. You get a, say, you get a really religious judge and you've got this guy who's part of a religious section and, you know, they've hired this attorney, which no doubt I'm sure would have possibly been religious because they all sort of, it sort of all sort of falls under the same banner. Would you find ever that you think that, that religion has something, some part to play, you know, in decision-making or, you know, he's, he's remorseful, he's, you know, apologised? Because obviously a lot of these religious uh, beliefs are that you apologise for your sins and all that sort of stuff and, you know, and, and we move on. We don't know too much about the judge and the county and the community where that case was charged, okay? But you can certainly imagine if you're in a jurisdiction where the religious group has some sway or some political power or some influence that it would might be persuasive to a judge if they think that's a good group versus an evil group or a cult, that they may think this is a good thing, that this person's upstanding, that they come from a good community, you can't rule out that in a, in a given situation, a judge might be from that community, right? Um, and then also the converse of that is from a defense lawyer perspective, they would probably make a lot of that, try to argue that, that you know, he is a man of God, that he is a man of faith, that he's uh, immersed in that community. And if the judge believes it's a good community, right, rather than a cult as portrayed by Mr. Vukovic, then of course that might be persuasive to a judge. Uh, but, you know, in mitigation, when you're trying to explain to a court why you should get a lesser sentence, you, you sometimes do rely upon someone's involvement in the community, which can include their involvement in a in a particular church. Right. And doing good deeds and doing um, community service within that church. You might even have a letter from your pastor and all that sorts of stuff. So it'd be nice to know a little bit more about the county in which he was um, adjudicated, the, the, the stepfather. And to know a little bit more about what reach that 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 uh, that religious group had, and we love to know what if the judge, you know, what his familiarity with that group was. You know, all questions we'll never get an answer to, right? Yeah, but certainly could have a, a effect upon the outcome. So, I mean, looking at Jason's crimes now, obviously um, we know he has an extensive um, background, a criminal background, as it were. He's not very honest about what he used to do as a, you know, growing up and stealing and all the rest of it. But the particular charges in which he was arrested for, for were, was the assault of these three gentlemen who were registered sex offenders. They had been, you know, had received whatever sentence they had received and they were back out in the community. Um, in Jason's mind... Um, I think he sees the the sentences handed down for people with those crimes seem tends to be on the lighter side of things. Well, the problem is you really need to dig into each particular case, and and we don't seem to have enough information about any of those three former defendants, right? Um, I'll tell you what. I mean, the idea that they always get light sentences, people that commit those types of crimes, I would say that's not the case, right? Yeah. It may be the case in, in in Jason's experience. Of course, he had a horrendous, ridiculous result with his stepfather. And he may have seen a lot of sentences in that in the state of Alaska that made him quite alarmed and thought, wow, these people are getting away with something. But particularly if a case is charged in the states in federal court, which they sometimes are, people get really draconian sentences. And it's not it's not unheard of. Your expectation is you're going to get a pretty bad sentence mm. in state court. Oftentimes the same thing. But yeah, there are certainly cases where people get um, sentences which appear to be light 
in light of the damage that they're doing to others and the, and the continuing threat that they pose. But I wouldn't agree with the idea that people that commit the types of crimes we're talking about get off lightly on a regular basis. It's not been my experience, certainly. And I think that in the federal system, you're you're used to people getting really some really long and horrible sentences. State court, you know, similarly, but sometimes less. But, you know, I, I wouldn't agree with this notion that in the states, that's the general rule. Okay. Well, I mean, that's kind of good to hear in a way, I suppose. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Um, let's look at uh, Jason's sentence. 23 years incarceration uh, for assaulting these three gentlemen, one of which he did assault um, using a weapon, which was uh, the hammer, which he talks, talks us through. Um, he says that the judge suggested that he was beyond any particular help uh, or rehabilitation. Um, in fact, Jason does claim, I don't know if this is true or not, but he claims that the judge basically said that he's not worth the state's valuable resources in which to um, try and rehabilitate him. Um, you know, 23-year sentence, three assaults, you know, one obviously a serious assault. Number one, as a 10-year-old child, I stood in the exact same courtroom. Imagine that, bro. The exact same courtroom in Alaska, in Anchorage, the same one. And they gave the guy that they had just convicted of molesting me three years in prison suspended. No jail time to serve whatsoever. And you get 23 years. Fast forward all of those years. Yeah, and I stood in the same courtroom as a full-grown adult, and I got 23 years in prison for having the audacity to assault three pedophiles. Jason's taking on vigilantism, like he's attacking people, he's taking the law into his own hands. So the way I see it, it's almost the judge is going, you know what, I've got to make an example of this so we don't get a a free-for-all of people going out and attacking people left, right and centre. Yeah, the judge was in a a difficult spot. First of all, I think the amount of time he got is ridiculous. 
Um, clearly, if you looked at, you know, his background and considered all the stuff he's been through and the, the arc of his life, so to speak, it's, it's in my view, a ridiculous sense to, to, to argue that he's some, someone who's not subject to rehabilitation makes no sense. The guy never has had a prior to be incarcerated. He's never really had any legitimate formal help, you know? So I think that's a ludicrous suggestion that he's beyond rehabilitation, uh, particularly in light of his background and the types of crimes he committed. Now you got to balance that, like you said, with the problem that a real high, high profile case you know, with people taking, you know, both sides of it, right? Mm-hmm. On the one hand, people are saying, hey, he's a hero. He's doing a good thing. On the other hand, people are saying, well, look, we, we can't encourage in the court system vigilanteism because that if we give him a light sentence, that's going to encourage people to do all sorts of crimes, right? And say mm-hmm. that they're avenging whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, a, a, a medium course here would have made sense. You could certainly have incarcerated him for, you know, five years or 10 years, right? But the key here is getting him some help and yeah, recognizing absolutely. all the stuff that he's been through. I think that would have been a great you know, message to society. Like, look at this kid. Look what he's been through. He never had a chance. He's certainly the product of, of that youth. Right. And he's someone who can be helped, who wants help, you know, and can be helped. And that's that's the whole rehabilitative nature and redemption and mitigation that's often considered in sentencing. Yeah, I mean, he's um, even said to me that he is. He said that he'll pay for his own help, and he's basically been denied. Said, "No, you're not. We're not giving." While he's in prison, you know, he's like he wants to talk to someone, and, and he wants he does want help. Yeah, and you know, and the thing there's there's so many there's so much option and discretion in sentencing. You know, you can give him a much milder uh, term of incarceration, which he, which I think should have been done in this case, and then you couple that with, you know, the counseling and treatment that he certainly needs, right? And then the, th- the thing that the power that judges have is oftentimes, you know, in the probation or the supervised release period, you still have an awful long time where they can be under the court's thumb, meaning that if they commit another crime, don't follow the conditions of their, of their post-incarceration, you can bring them right back. So there, there's a lot of ways to keep a handle on that while providing important assistance to someone like him. Um, you know, one of the complicating factors we didn't talk about, I think two things, you know, uh, we were kind of forgetting the fact that these people he attacked, you know, at least one of them, it, it was widely reported that he was an older person. Um, apparently, if, if you believe it to be true, from all accounts, that particular victim of Jason hadn't committed, you know, a crime in 11 years, had actually shown remorse, shown you know, some rehabilitative efforts himself. Right. And so, you know, here he is, you know, hit on the hammer repeatedly and ended up with a traumatic brain injury. And so we're, we're kind of forgetting the fact that he's, he's a former defendant uh, who was worthy of rehabilitation and seemed to have succeeded in it. Right. Um, So it's, you can't put that out of mind. And then I think another important issue that, you know, Jason did is he didn't just attack these people. He actually robbed them and stole from them and brought other people into the crimes in some instances. So the judge was dealing with a complicated circumstance, but clearly a sentence that he gave him was, was way, way too much. Right. And there's just something that should have been done here in terms of a much lower sentence and, uh, and rehabilitation efforts. And, you know, Jason's the first guy to admit that what he, what he did is wrong. Yeah. Um, And he's, he's really just begging for help here. 
And, and that's the thing when it comes to sentencing, it's, you know, it's all on one person's shoulders, really. It's, a, it's up to the judge, their discretion. You know, they've got their sentencing there in front of them. And it's, you know, we look back at the David Talley case, you know, given 100 years, you know, by a judge for his crimes, Jason, 23 years for his crimes. And then you've got other people I talked to who you would argue almost got, you know, have got worse crimes that have got less time. It just, de- it, it basically depends. It, on the judge you get and the on the day. Like, I mean, I just don't understand. Like, who is policing these sentences? I know the guys can appeal them, but the trouble is, from my own experience in this very short time, it's very hard to get that appeal approved because people don't, you know, the system doesn't want to be constantly overturning a judge's decision because it does not look good. But, I, you know, oh, and yeah. it, so, so then who who is, you know, who is unbiasedly checking these sentences and going, okay, hold on a second, what's going on here, mate? You, you've given this guy 100 years. All he did was X, Y, and Z. The maximum he should be getting for that is 15. Like, what What on earth's going on here? Why have you given him 100 years? Like, it's just, it's almost like 100 years, bang, see ya, next. You know, I know we've moved, on. Yeah, <laughs> we've so moved to another case now, but, you know. In, in our system, the, the trial court level judges, like Ed and, and Jason's case, they're given a lot of discretion, okay? and, and the, But they should use that discretion, of course, wisely by considering mitigating factors. The difficulty is, is that the appellate court in our system, they're not normally going to look at a sentence and say, ah, you know, 23 years, that's too long. We would have given them 15 or 16. They're not analyzing it that way. What they're doing is seeing, did the judge properly consider the things he should have considered or did he consider something he shouldn't have? But they're typically not looking at the duration of the sentencing and second guessing it or interposing it, their judgment on behalf of those numbers. Only in really outrageous circumstances like the 100 year sentence, does the court sometimes get involved and say, hold on here. You know, this just is beyond all reason. Typically, they're just reviewing it to see if the judge followed the law, followed the procedures, considered what he's supposed to do and and didn't consider some prohibited factor. So our appellate courts here are not like this this super, you know, look over the shoulder person to reassess and rejudge the amount of the sentence. They're they're more looking at it from a legal and procedural standpoint. You know what I mean? As an attorney who's been doing this for a very long time, I'm sure you would see the same judges, you know, time and time and again in different courtrooms and with different cases. Do you have a situation in, you know, your particular sort of section where you go, well, we don't want that judge because he's known for being super harsh with that. So if we can avoid getting that guy, oh, and then a judge pops up, you're like, oh, no, not this guy. Or, you know, we get this person like, oh, fantastic. This is this is brilliant. Like, do you get that? You You, you, you can tell whether or not it's going to be easier or harder with a specific judge? Well, let's face it, you know, we, clearly based upon our experience, we, we're not supposed to say that, hey, we'd prefer this judge over that <laughs> judge. But of course, of course we do. Right. And so no one's supposed to say that out loud. But we we know from our own experience, we know from precedent from that judge in other cases, typically what you can expect from he or she. Correct. Because they have a track record yeah. with other cases. We have a track record with them. So we do have a, a sense of whether one judge would be, in our view, more favorable to our client than another, right? But that doesn't hold uniformly true. And oftentimes you're going to get surprised, but there's no doubt that every lawyer makes an assessment and maybe even talks about their client with it. What type of judge is this? What can we expect knowing from our own history and history of others with that judge? So there's no doubt we all think about those things and that they're true, right? These are not robots. The same set of facts could yield a complete 
completely different sentence in one judge to the next in the same building down the same hallway. Let's face it. That's just reality. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really is sometimes a, a throw of the dice to see what happens. But uh, we've got, I mean, Jason's got a parole hearing coming up in April. Um, and uh, funnily enough, he he wrote a, a letter um, to, he gave a letter to a, a newspaper and he was writing to the prosecutor saying, I will do you know, six years and nine months in prison, which is the combined sentence of all the gentlemen that I um, I hurt. And it just so happens that six years and nine months will be in April when his parole hearing comes up. So uh, it be very interesting to see what happens there, whether he's uh, granted parole or not. Um, well, I saw that, that he, that he before he was sentenced in, in his case, he wrote that long letter suggesting that that was the right sentence. However, as you probably saw, right before his sentencing, he retracted that. And basically, I, I think that. probably on the advice of his attorney right? and said, hey, you know, here's what I said before. You know, I understand that, you know, what I did was wrong. He took a very different approach right before the sentencing and wrote a different letter. So I wrote him, I wrote a letter to the prosecutor's office. I didn't consult with my attorney prior to doing so, mind you. Um, and I thought it was very smart and pragmatic and very linear. Um, and I told him, uh, I'll plead guilty to any combination of charges you wish. Um, just one caveat um, for my sentence to equal in length what each one of the pedophiles I assaulted served in prison for assaulting a child, their child victim. Mm. Um, so all three of them combined, it came to six years, nine months. Um, and then I also told him I will also serve the three years in prison that you suspended for the monster that made me when I was a young child. I'll serve the three years he never served. So nine years, nine months, run that. I'll plead guilty to whatever you want. And uh, needless to say, in general, they were summarily offended by the arrogance or the audacity of me uh, uh, directly approaching them publicly with a request for a sentence. One interesting thing we, we haven't touched too much about is, you know, he tried to apparently at the trial court level in front of the judge that gave him the, the horrible sentence. His attorney attempted to present evidence that, hey, a mitigating factor is is my PTSD. But the judge was completely dismissive of any PTSD diagnosis. He thought it does not matter. I was a castaway. You know, I was just like the dirt that blows around people's feet as they walk through the city, um, you know, uh, they, they, just, they determined my chances of rehabilitation nil and said that uh, I would be a waste of the precious resources of the probation and parole department if I was given parole. I think that's pretty much exactly how they stated it. But it, it looks like from what the appellate court later said, and even from what maybe what the trial court said, is that you had two problems. You, you had one in Alaska, they have a statute that talks about like what are mitigating circumstances. And so it looked like they were, they were kind of forced to try to fit in, shoehorn in as we would say, the concept of PTSD under the idea that that equals duress or coercion, which they don't really go together. And those are kind of different concepts. Mm. And then you know, it sounds like from what the appellate court said that they the appellate court didn't feel like they had developed a strong enough record before the trial judge to support, you know, how the PTSD led to his actions, right? So maybe it's possible that they could have presented a better mitigation argument, maybe a stronger expert witness right. or an expert witness who could tie causation-wise, 
you know, Jason's past to the crimes he committed, because, you know, it, it strikes you that it's it's obvious and there, and you just need a really good expert to put that all together. And it doesn't sound like they quite got there on that issue. But that, I mean, that would, um, at the end of the day, that would come down to money, would it not? You know, getting the right person and the, you know, with the right qualifications, the thing that, again, Jason, he said he got his, someone donated him basically $2,000 to pay for him yeah. to have a, an attorney represent him on, on sentencing. Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, you'd, you'd be surprised at how many cases when you're going to sentencing, you could use the benefit of an expert witness, right? And, you know, they often are costly. I mean, just to do an evaluation and a report of somebody at the low end, you're talking, you know, $5,000 at least, uh, but it could be quite a bit more. But when you get a real good expert who evaluates the person, puts together a very professional report and draws the inferences like, look, here's what the person suffered here's what, what my, my diagnosis of, of their condition is, and here's why their past and their condition contributed directly to this crime. That's strong evidence of mitigation that a judge is going to take seriously. It doesn't seem like they got there. I don't know if it was because of money, but it doesn't seem like they put a strong package together of mitigation on the PTSD to kind of tie Jason's you know actions to his pro- to his prior life, you know, I think thing that could have been done sounds like it could have been done better or more strongly, you know. But I'm I'm second guessing without knowing knowing all the facts here. Yeah, no, fair <laughs> enough. Well, I mean, uh, time will tell. Us, as I said, April will have his uh, his hearing, and uh, you never know he might uh, he might be able to get out on good behavior. He sounds very, you know, he's very insightful. Uh, very. He he really is well spoken and introspective, you know, and and uh, that that could go either way. You know, the problem is maybe. Maybe because he said so much about this, maybe it goes against him in some ways, but bringing all this attention to his case through you and through others, you would think would kind of put at the forefront and get people to rethink what's been done here, I hope, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, look, as always, it is an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much indeed for your time. People uh, love hearing your thoughts and uh, and uh, your your opinions on these things. So uh, we very much appreciate your time, Mr. Leonard. Uh, and uh, enjoyed it, Jack. Always good to talk to you. Can't wait till the. Uh, are you going to give us a teaser on what the next? Oh, the next be one. Have you ever heard of a man called Evaristo Salas? Oh, mate. Honestly, it's uh, from what uh, from what state? Uh, so he's in Washington. Not yeah, so Washington State, which is I get confused. Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I get confused. Not Washington, as in Washington D.C. The the one that's near Alaska. I actually think it's near Alaska. Yeah, yeah, that's Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Oh, I'll be looking for it. I'll be yeah. looking for that first episode drop, my friend. Ah, uh, well, it's coming out very soon, my friend. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Sir. All right, take care. Say hi to all the listeners for me. As always, a huge thank you to Michael Leonard from Leonard Trial Lawyers in Chicago, the man who is our voice of reason and who will join us again actually very soon in an upcoming Q&A episode, uh, as a number of you guys have had questions for Mr. Leonard, including one that got a response that, I'll be honest, floored me. Oh, well, there we go. (laughs) You're on record now. You do realise that, don't you? But as mentioned with Michael, get ready for our next story involving this man. Well, my name is Evaristo Salas. I was uh, wrongly convicted of first degree uh, premeditated murder when I was 15 years old, uh, and I was sentenced to 32 years, nine months. What's uh, how long have you currently been incarcerated for? I've been incarcerated for 26 years and, and, and six months. Uh, and that would make you how old, sir? I'm going to be 42 on the 17th of December. So in, a few, in about a week, I'm a week and a half. I'll be uh, 42. Next time on One Minute Remaining. 
One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.